In this comic book is a love story, a boy and girl in love. They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrated, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. effect of these comic books on the children. Uh, all of our testimony from psychiatrists and uh, children themselves uh, show that it's uh, very upsetting, that it has a bad moral effect, and that it is directly responsible for a substantial amount of juvenile delinquency and child crime. Ho, ho, ho. Hello again, friends and fans of Frightening Funnies, and welcome to a special winter holiday edition of Four Color Fear, the podcast dissecting and inspecting horror comics. My name is Bob, and this is episode seven, where we will take a look at Vault of Horror number 35, published by EC in 1954. Now, we stuck with EC's Vault of Horror, which we had covered an issue of in the previous episode, because this issue is a holiday-themed issue. Two of the four comic stories in this issue are Christmas-related. One of those two stories, I suspect some of you, or possibly many of you, will be familiar with it, and we'll discuss that uh, when we get into the details of this story. So we're not going to mess around today, I'm sure... Many of you have some last-minute holiday shopping to do and probably some other better things to do than to listen to this podcast. So we're going to get right to it, and we'll do that right after we get back after this. Friends, here's a wonderful Christmas gift for anyone who smokes because it says, Merry Christmas and Happy Smoking 200 times. Yes, ten packs of those better-tasting Luckies, all done up for Christmas in a beautiful carton created just for Lucky Strike by the famous designer, Mr. Raymond Loy. It'll look so bright and colorful under your Christmas tree, and it's such a welcome gift to anyone who enjoys a good smoke. Because, you know, smoking enjoyment is all a matter of taste. And the fact of the matter is, Luckies taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. That's why you can't go wrong if you remember your friends with these colorful Christmas cartons of Lucky Strike. Be happy, go lucky, for Christmas gifts this year. Well, that was kind of creepy in an uninformed and nostalgic sort of way. That television commercial was probably airing the same time as this comic that we're going to cover today hit the newsstands. All right, Vault of Horror, number 35, has a cover date of February-March 1954, so it was probably on the newsstands, I'm sure, in December of 53. And it has a cover price of 10 cents. And this cover uh, is a very festive holiday cover. We have the typical EC layout. The upper solid field in red, and the words The Vault of Horror in a bold font, and the sidebar 
is green to go along with the red for the holiday and the word horror written in white. We also have the standard featuring cameos of the Vault Keeper, the Crypt Keeper, and the Old Witch. And the cover itself is a homey Yuletide offering. We see a cozy living room. There's a Christmas tree in the foreground. It's snowing outside. We can see snow collecting in the corners of the window pane. And we see a surprised woman looking at the gift that her husband has placed in front of the tree for her. And he's wrapped it in a nice big red bow. And that gift is a coffin. And attached to the bow, there is a gift tag saying, Merry Christmas to my wife. And we see the husband behind the wife doing a Ted Williams impersonation with an axe, getting ready to lop her head off. It's quite a stark image for the holiday from, once again, Johnny Craig, who, as I mentioned last episode, was the head writer and artist for Vault of Horror. William Gaines had given him that title. Okay, Vault of Horror number 35 has 36 pages with four comic stories and one text story. Uh, The first comic story, hosted by the Vault Keeper, is called And All Through the House, where a diabolical woman with a perfect plan of mariticide sees a wrench thrown in the works when Santa makes an unexpected visit on Christmas Eve. The next story, hosted by the Crypt Keeper, is called Tombsday, where an expedition of archaeologists runs headlong into the ghost of a sphinx. Then the text story, which is titled Space to Breathe, and that's followed by the Vault Keeper with beauty rest where an envious young woman gets her comeuppance after she switches places with her roommate who's won a beauty contest and closing out the book we have the old witch with shoe button eyes where a poor little blind boy gets the best christmas present ever so there's a brief synopsis of our stories in vault of horror number 35 we'll be right back to cover our feature stories after this On Christmas morning, Dwight and Mamie Eisenhower attend a service at the Columbia University Chapel in New York. Later, at their home, the Eisenhowers join grandson Dwight David Jr. under the mistletoe before gathering round the tree with the rest of the family. The president-elect son, John, is still in Korea with the army, but 11-month-old Susan finds grandpa almost as much fun. Susan's mother and elder sister Barbara Ann watch Ike try his hand with David's electric trains. Next year, the Eisenhowers will spend Christmas Day in the White House. Christmas with President-elect Eisenhower in 1953. Just like the Lucky Strike commercial was playing on TV, this newsreel was playing in movie theaters at the same time as our comic for this episode was on the newsstand. Okay, our first feature story for this Haunted Holiday Special is the final story in Vault of Horror number 35, and it's titled Shoe Button Eyes. The credits for this story, we got script by Johnny Craig, pencils and inks by Ghastly Graham Ingalls, colors by Marie Severin, and letters once again by Jim Roten. And this story is hosted by The Old Witch. So on the first page, we have a full-page splash of her in her hangout and she's you know working over a boiling pot of something and uh this is her introduction 
Hee hee, well it's time for me to brew my goo, and let me tell you right now that it's a real gooey brew I'm brewing. This is the old witch, mistress of the haunt of fear, ready to serve you another morbid morsel of misery to satisfy your monstrous appetites for evil. Here it is, you horror-hungry hounds, the story of a little boy and his shoe-button eyes. And in this full-page splash, we see the old witch, and, uh, like I said, she's in her lair. She's got some, uh, ghouls hanging out with her, and one of them, one of them is chained around the neck, and, uh, in typical Graham Ingalls grotesqueness, this guy, uh, it's really difficult to explain this, but I'm going to give it a shot. This guy has candles, burning candles protruding from every orifice in his face. I mean, both eye sockets, both ears, and several sticking out of his mouth. It, it, it is uh, quite quite a scene. And um, it definitely has some potential for uh, our Poe. Okay, but along with this full-page splash, we get a... It's technically not a full-page splash because we do get a uh, one-panel insert in the lower right corner where we see a little boy smiling, and he seems very happy, standing next to a Christmas tree. And he says, Gee Willikers, this is the best Christmas I've ever had. I can see. I can see everything. I'm so happy. So this little boy goes on to tell us, and he is the narrator of this story, that he was born blind, and... That this is the first time in his whole life that he has ever been able to see and everything is so pretty and my mommy is the prettiest of all and he goes on to tell us this story that he always knew that she was beautiful even though he never saw her face until today because she was always so good to him and when he was only a baby she used to sing to him and play with him and make him forget how hungry he was so these people are uh, not very well off and he tells us that his father was a good man. He used to work hard, even though he never made much money. But he and Mommy were very happy. And he never made much money, like uh, he had mentioned. But when there wasn't any wood for the stove, that's when Mommy used to cradle him in her arms and, you know, to keep him warm. He doesn't remember his daddy too well because he died when he was very small. But he can remember the sound of his mom crying at night and how she used to talk to me like I could understand. And right after the father had died, the mother had to go to work, so he didn't see much of her. But when she came home at night, she'd sit him on her lap and teach him things and talk to him and kiss him. And she used to make him feel so good. And she tried to teach him everything she could because he couldn't go to school like the other kids who could see. Of course, she couldn't afford to send him to a special school, so he didn't have any friends at all to play with, except this teddy bear that he had. And he doesn't remember where the teddy bear seemed to have come from, but it seems like he had always had it. And when Mommy was away all day, he used to uh, talk to the teddy bear, and the teddy bear was the only friend he had, like he said. And one day, his mom married another man. But he didn't like his new daddy as much as his real daddy. And we see in this one panel that um, the mother saying, this is your new daddy, he's going to take care of us. And the little boy, whose name is Billy, the little boy says, hello daddy, and this guy uh, starts laughing. Uh, Where are you going, boy? I'm over here. 
And uh, we come to find out that this guy thinks it's funny that the little boy can't see. Billy tells us that Mommy and Teddy Bear never laughed at me because I couldn't see where I was going. Why did my new daddy laugh at me? Well, this guy, it turns out that this guy is a real creep. Um, he's always making fun of the kid. He's abusive to both the child and the mother in this house. And uh, he would stay out late at night very often and come home drunk. And, you know, demanding food and... Uh, he didn't like the little boy. He used to always make fun of him and laugh at him because he was blind. You know, we see a panel here where the little boy trips and falls over a chair, and the, uh, the stepfather says, that's the second time you tripped over that chair. Why don't you look where you're going, boy? And he's laughing all the time. So it turns out that this guy wasn't really taking care of the family, so uh, the mother had to go back to work again. But she was working so hard, she got very sick. And uh, Billy says, Mommy, you don't sound good. Are you all right? And she's coughing. She says, of course I'm all right, Billy. I'm, I'm feeling just fine. And uh, in the next panel, we see that this evil stepfather is really making fun of the boy. And he says, well, you look at that, boy. You've got the funniest looking eyes I ever saw. Why, hanged if they don't look just like your teddy bear shoe button eyes. Well, if that don't beat all. And the kid's crying. And it's just this guy's just, I mean, like really terrible. And when the boy goes to bed that night, uh, he looks in on his mother and he sees how sick she is. And he says he wishes he was big, then he could take care of his mommy. He doesn't like to hear her cry so much. He never used to cry when my real daddy was here. And he says to his teddy bear, you know, it isn't right that someone as good as my mommy should be crying all the time. And I can't help it if I have funny looking eyes. So this is just a really sad tale. Well, then one night when it was almost Christmas and the mother was very, very sick... And the new daddy hadn't been home for a few days. There wasn't any money in the house. And uh, the little Billy was in bed with his teddy bear trying to keep warm when the door burst open. And uh, the stepfather returns home drunk. And he's complaining to his wife, what's the matter with you? And she's, you know, coughing. She's very, very ill. She probably has pneumonia. And he's yelling at her. So uh, Billy hops out of bed and says, come on, teddy bear, we got to help mommy. And he ran... He runs out of the room, and he's yelling and crying at the same time, and his stepfather sees him, and he says, well, if it isn't little shoe button eyes, and Billy says, you big bully, you leave my mommy alone, you hear? You leave her alone. And he tells us that he wanted to hit him. He was so mad, he wanted to hurt him a lot, but he couldn't see where he was going, and he tripped over a chair or something. But then we see that his, it's actually his stepfather had stuck out his foot and tripped the little boy. And he fell to the floor crying, and then, then his mom was there next to him, and, you know, holding him and trying to make him feel better. And the stepfather says, I'll fix you, you no-good brat, and I'll fix your teddy bear, too. And he rips the eyes out of the teddy bear, and he says, there, you hear me, boy? I ripped out your teddy bear's eyes. Now he's just like you. He can't see anything either. And this guy, I mean, this guy makes uh, Cinderella's stepmother look like Mary Poppins. I mean, this guy is just terrible. So you can kind of see where this is going, right? Uh, the bad guy is probably going to get uh, his just desserts. So after ripping the uh, eyes out of the teddy bear, this uh, stepfather, uh, he leaves the house for the night. And uh, Billy's being held by his mother. And he's, uh, he says, I wish teddy bear had his eyes back. Teddy bear needs his eyes I'm used to not having eyes, Mommy. Do you think uh, maybe Santa Claus will bring him his new eyes? And uh, she says, I don't know, Billy. But she's very, very ill. And Billy goes on to uh, say to his mom that Santa Claus never brought him anything before. 
Do you think maybe just this once he'd give Teddy Bear back his eyes? Just this once? And uh, Billy goes on to tell us that he didn't know it at the time, but the next day, Mommy took the money she was supposed to buy medicine with and went out. And it was a very, very cold day, and uh, Billy had to stay in bed with his clothes on to keep warm. And he says that, you know, my mom really shouldn't have gone out in that weather but she, because she was really sick. So she goes to some store and uh, buys a new set of eyes for the teddy bear. You know, little plastic button eyes. And uh, Billy tells us that he heard her come back and after they talked for a while, she made him get back in bed so he wouldn't catch cold. And he listened to her moving around the kitchen. She was breathing kind of funny and it seemed like she was coughing an awful lot but he didn't know what she was doing, and he falls asleep. At some point in that night, he said he doesn't know just when it was, but he felt Santa Claus lift his arm and put his teddy bear beside him. He was half asleep, but he remembers touching his face and feeling his eyes, and he knew that they were bright and real pretty. So now his teddy bear has eyes again. The mother had sewn them back in. But the next thing we find out is that his new daddy came home, and he's yelling, and, he, and uh, Billy gets out of bed, and uh, this guy, I don't know if I mentioned it, but his name is Jed. So Jed is yelling at Mommy to get out of bed, but she didn't move, and she didn't move at all. And he calls her, no good tramp, get out of that bed, you hear? And Billy says he listened for Mommy, and he knew that she wasn't going to ever get up. And he's still yelling at her to get up, and uh, that's Jed. Jed's doing the yelling, and Billy says, Mommy, Mommy, please wake up, and... Jed sees him there and says, shoe button eyes, and he gives him a right cross. This Jed hits this little blind boy Billy right across the face, and Billy says he doesn't know why he hit him, because he didn't do anything, and he remembers hitting his head against something sharp, and that's all he remembers. But Billy continues to go on to tell us that before Christmas morning, there were some awful screams and yells that came from our house. The noise woke up the whole neighborhood. And when they broke the door down, they saw my new daddy lying on the floor. He was dead, and he was all ripped and bloody like some animal had got him. His eyes were torn out, and in their place were the new shoe button eyes, all bright and shiny. They found my teddy bear in a corner without his eyes, all covered with blood, and, and he was smiling. And in the final panel, we see Billy next to this Christmas tree again, and, he's, and he tells us, and that's why this is the best Christmas I've ever had. I can see... I can see everything from way up here, and everything is so pretty. And we get a closing remark from the old witch. If any of you foul fiends think I'm getting mushy in my old age, you'll just have to grin and bear it. Teddy, that is, because I'm all choked up with the Yuletide spirit. So until next time, Merry Christmas. So that was our first featured story, Shoe Button Eyes, and boy, I gotta tell you, what a downer that was. Uh... This poor little boy, the only uh, way he's able to see is that he has to die and go to heaven. And that's how he's able to uh, see how beautiful everything is, including his mother, who, of course, is in heaven with him. And it's just a total downer. Uh, boy, I don't know what uh, Johnny Craig was going for with this story, but I, I got to tell you, it really, it's, I just find it terribly depressing. The artwork, however, is incredible by uh, Graham Ingalls. Uh, if you're familiar at all with his work, he used to... He generally did the more morbid artwork in the EC comics, and that's where he got the uh, nickname Ghastly, and uh, he actually started signing his work just with the word Ghastly. This is some great work by him. Uh, I like the use of colors that Marie Severin is uh, doing in this. 
And that first panel that I mentioned with the uh, chained ghoul in the old witch's lair with the candles uh, protruding out of every orifice in his head, uh, that's some pretty gruesome stuff there. Uh, I wonder how he came up with that idea. So that's going to do it for our first feature story, Shoe Button Eyes. And, you know, like I said, what a downer this was. So uh, we'll be right back after a little pick-me-up from the holidays in 1953. So don't go anywhere. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. I think I've shaken off uh, the bit of holiday dread that I got from that previous story. Okay, our second feature story for this special episode is the first story in Vault of Horror number 35, and it's entitled, And All Through the House. And uh, the credits for this story, we have script, pencils, and inks by Vault of Horror book runner Johnny Craig, and once again, Colors and Letters by Marie Severin and Jim Roten, respectively. And this story is hosted by Santa Claus. We get a full-page splash. We see Santa Claus sitting at a desk. There are lots of letters on this desk that he has apparently been going through. There's a calendar in the, in the background that says deadline, December 25th. And uh, this is his introduction. Ho, ho, ho. And what would you like for Christmas? Have you been a ghoul, little child? I hope so. For with the Christmas spirit all about us, the editors thought it would be fitting to give you our story for this issue a little Christmassy feeling. It's Christmas Eve, and all good little children are tucked in their Betty buys fast asleep. Ho, ho, a perfect atmosphere for a Christmas tale, eh? And all through the house. And once again, like our first story, this is technically not a full-page splash because we once again get a single-panel insert in the lower right corner. And that single-panel insert is an onomatopoeia containing the word WOMP. We turn the page and we see the feet of a woman in high heels standing over the body of a man lying in front of her. And we're told her husband was dead and it was the best Christmas present she had ever had. She stood over the lifeless body, sprawled at her feet and smiled. Ha ha, Merry Christmas, Joseph. You're sleeping so peacefully, dreaming of Santa Claus. I imagine this story already seems a bit familiar to some of you. And the uh, narrator goes on to tell us, which of course the narrator Santa Claus. She lingered, thinking of the months of planning that had culminated in one swift blow with a poker. From the upstairs, she heard a child's cries, and she realizes that her daughter's awake. So she hurries up the stairs, opens the door to a bedroom, and she says, Carol, what's the matter, dear? And the little girl says, did Santa Claus come yet, Mommy? Did he? No, dear, not yet. It's not time, so you go back to sleep. 
Can I see him, Mommy? Can I see him when he comes? I'll see, my dear. Now you're, you be a good little girl and go right to sleep or Santa won't come at all, all right? All right, Mommy. Good night. So she heads back downstairs, and after remaining in the room until her daughter had fallen asleep again, she stepped over her husband's body, moved to the table casually, lit a cigarette and inhaled, and she said, you were such a mouse, Joseph. You'll never know how wonderful it is to be free of you at last. And she realized there was no hurry. She had planned too long and too well. There were no neighbors around, no one within miles, and she had all night to dispose of the body. She thought of the insurance money, and she drifted across the room and turned on the radio. And Christmas carols started playing from the radio, and... Uh, she hummed softly and looked again at the corpse, and the stained poker lay nearby. And she picked up the poker, cleaned it, and set it back in its place by the fire. And she's humming along with jingle bells. She looks at the uh, decorated Christmas tree and the presents beneath it, and she says, Now I'll never know whether or not Joseph would have liked the uh, tie that I bought for him. Oh, well. And all of a sudden, the mantel clock chimed the hour. It was 11 p.m., she realized it was time to get rid of her husband's body. She thought to herself that her daughter, Carol, will be all right until she gets back. So she's getting ready. She grabs her coat. She's getting ready to, uh, I guess, take uh, her husband Joseph's body outside. And she hears something on the radio. The music has been interrupted by a special report. And she hears something sort of like this. We interrupt this program for a special announcement. A man described as a homicidal maniac has escaped from the hospital for the criminally insane. He is six foot three inches tall, 210 pounds, dark eyes, bald, and may be wearing a Santa Claus costume taken from a shop in Burley. All residents of the county are warned to be on the lookout for this man and to phone the police if they see him. We now continue our program of carols for Christmas Eve. And she realizes that the town where this... Uh maniac had escaped from is just south of where she is. I'm sure many of you recognize that little sound bite coming from the 1972 film Tales from the Crypt, which was an amicus production and a horror anthology movie. It and its sister film The Vault of Horror, which was released in 1973, were both produced by amicus and they adapted um, EC comic stories in both of those movies and this tale was the first tale in Tales from the Crypt and it starred Joan Collins. Now differing a bit from the soundbite in the comic the uh, news report goes on to say that uh, the police officials state that he will not harm children and will only injure men if he's provoked. It is said that he is obsessed with killing women. All four women that he already has murdered had been attacked and viciously disfigured. And uh, she realizes that the town where he had escaped from is just a few miles south of there. And the report goes on to say that uh, this guy is uh, reportedly heading north. All women are warned to remain indoors. This man is extremely dangerous. Further bulletins will be brought to you as soon as they are received. Stay tuned now for... And she shuts the radio off. And she realizes she can't take a chance on leaving now, but she has to get rid of her husband's body. And she hadn't figured on anything like this. Uh, Carol will be okay if I leave her. The radio said he won't harm children, and I have to get rid of Joseph. So she decides to go. 
So she grabs her coat again, and she hears a knock at the door. She tiptoes to the window and peers through into the darkness, and she sees a red Santa costume, the white fur trim, and she exclaims, My God, oh good God, it's him. And in a fit of panic, she rushes to the telephone to call the police, but she stops as she realizes she can't call the police because they'll find her husband's body. So she doesn't know what to do. So she's kind of running through the house back and forth in a panic, going from upstairs to check on her daughter, back down to her husband's body. She locks all the doors and windows, uh, back upstairs to her daughter's room. She can hear this maniac clumping through the snow and heading around to the back door. So uh, once again, she's in a panic. She finally runs down into the basement and gets a bunch of lumber. She moves her husband's body out of the way again, and in uh, true Night of the Living Dead fashion, she starts boarding up all the doors and windows. So she goes after that. Like I said, she's in a total panic here. She's running from one task to another, undecided what to do. She finally finishes with the windows and wondered what the maniac was doing and remembered the dead body and went back and dragged it into the closet. So she goes over all the windows again, checking to see if they were all boarded up and made sure the body was in the closet and went down to the cellar to check the cellar door. The cellar door was locked and she ran up the stairs and checked the doors and checked the windows and made sure the body was in the closet and raced up to the attic to make sure it was all closed up. And after all of that, she finally went into her daughter's room. And guess what? That's right. Little Carol is gone. The room was empty. She tore the bedclothes from the empty bed and slammed the door of the empty closet and checked the lock on the empty room's window. And she said, it's locked. She's still here. She's still in the house. She starts yelling, Carol, Carol, where are you? Here I am, Mommy. Here I am downstairs. As she starts to rush downstairs, she rushed headlong from the empty room clattering frantically down the steps and stopped because she sees her daughter standing at the open front door with a gentleman dressed in a Santa Claus costume. Little Carol says, look, Mommy, look, Santa Claus is here. I let him in. And that is how our story ends. And I got to tell you, this uh, maniac who's dressed in the Santa Claus costume standing at the door with the little girl looks incredibly like a young Stephen King without his uh, beard that he used to wear in the 70s. This is definitely, I mean, what are the chances of that? This is definitely got to be a candidate for the Poe of the episode. So to close out the story, Santa Claus, or oops, wait a minute, Santa Claus is removing a mask. And it turns out, of course, that, that it's actually the vault keeper who's been hosting this story. And he says, ho, 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 and what would you like for Christmas? Did you enjoy our little story? Carol's mommy just got the biggest surprise of her life. You see, this Santa loved to slay bells. And next time you see Santa, better make sure he isn't six foot three with shaggy black hair. That reminds me, I guess it's time for me to remove this mask. And he takes the mask off, as I had already said. And we see it is, of course, the Vault Keeper. Heh heh heh, yep, it's me, the Vault Keeper. You don't think we'd ever have the real Santa Claus in this horror mag, did you? Oh, I suppose you've been wondering just what I've got in this sack. <laughs> it's only what's left of Carol's mommy after that maniac was through with her. <laughs> and by the way, Merry Christmas. So that's the end of our second featured story, and all through the house. This one is definitely much more in line with uh, the classic EC style of storytelling. You know, we get the uh, horror elements... Uh, mixed in with some dark comedy and, um, you know, a tongue-in-cheek approach 
unlike that previous story, uh, Shoe Button Eyes, which was just a grim, depressing tale, I still don't know what Johnny Craig was going for there. It really just feels out of place with, you know, the normal tone of an EC story. It was just a, well, I keep saying it, it was just a total downer. Uh, this, however, Craig's artwork, awesome. The storytelling, really good. Uh, perfect for a haunted Christmas story. And uh, it's definitely the better of the two stories that we reviewed today. Okay, now for next episode, which will be sometime early next year, 2019. My goodness, it's hard to believe. We're going to go back to the uh, random comic generator. So I'm just going to give the toggle switch a little flip. Uh, let it do its thing here. And let's see what it kicks back for us. All right, we got another pre-code book. This is Weird Chills number three, published by Stanley Morse in 1954. And that's what we'll cover next time. It should be kind of interesting because uh, Stanley Morris is uh, actually a kind of an interesting publisher. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I'd like to extend a special thanks to Mayu for providing the uh, haunted arrangements of Christmas music. And uh, that's spelled M-Y-U-U, and I will post a link to his YouTube channel in the show notes. I'd also like to thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can do that by sending an email to fourcolorfear at gmail.com. You can also visit the blog at fourcolorfear.blogspot.com. You can subscribe to the RSS feed there. We do have a Facebook page as well. Just search for Four Color Fear. Remember, Four Color Fear is always spelled the number four, C-O-L-O-R-F-E-A-R. I'd like to extend to you my wishes for a happy holiday season and a healthy and happy new year. See you next year, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.